Kevin just said to me, I meant half of that. <laughs> My brother. Uh, we just love Kevin and Janet. In fact, uh, this is my wife, Colleen, who is with me on this trip. Colleen and Kevin and Janet, would you guys just stand for me? Aw, aren't they precious? Yeah. And pray for their health. They've gained a lot of weight. They've really let themselves go. I don't know why some people just don't get it, but some people don't get it, right? Health is not a guarantee. Anyway, uh, we do love Kevin and Janet so much, and uh, getting to know their children and their children's spouses and their children's children a little bit, and man, the years fly by, right? They just fly by. Do you all remember when you were 20? Yeah. Yeah. They had just invented the telephone for some of you. I could see that. I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, just a pleasure to be here. I I was here last year. I don't usually ever get invited back. But um, I owe Kevin a lot of money, and he likes keeping me close. So anyway, I want to thank all of you for participating in my sermon topic survey. I didn't know what to preach. And so I sent out that survey and just asked you to go ahead and ask me the key questions that were on your minds so that I could sort of get a feel for where you're at and what kind of message you needed this morning. I was thinking it would be more biblical than it, than it was. Um, but anyway, here's, here's the first question that sort of had the bulk of people's attention. How much should a pastor really get paid? There appears to be some, let's use financial terms. There's some sort of a delta here. And I think, I think that maybe there needs to be some... Here's another one. When should an aging pastor move on? And then this one, it, it hurts a little bit given our biblical views and we want to be egalitarian and all that stuff. But look at this. Why can't our pastor's wife be our pastor? Okay, so my sermon title for this morning is it may be time for an emergency elders meeting. I'm just going on. It's really none of my business, but this is what came up. No, I absolutely adore Kevin, and, uh, and I admire him. Um, for somebody like me who pastored for about 36 years uh, before I started doing other things, uh, for some of Kevin's friends and my friends, we went to college together, Um, when we see a guy who stays, it is rare, it is precious, and it means something. To have Kevin and Janet say over and over again, season after season, we are committed to you. We're not going anywhere. We're not looking for the next biggest church or some church that's offering us something that we wish we had here but can't have it. And then to have a community that says, and we want you to be here. Rare, rare, rare. All of us are concerned that ministry has turned into business or that our faith in Christ has somehow transitioned into religion or that our pastors are really just interested in their self-trajectory to something better for them. And uh, I watch Kevin and Janet 
Just yesterday, we were in a restaurant, and Kevin shared a story about the gospel and broke down in tears over the gospel and what God is doing in some of your lives. And he's seen the hand of God move in this flock. It's rare, folks. It's rare. Too often, our pastors are saying, did you notice our new projector? That's the new Christie 65447, and most churches don't have that one. Folks, I just love the fact that you are a church, a community, a flock with a shepherd, and you're in this thing together. It's rare. Be blessed by it, would you? Give yourselves a hand clap. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. That's so good. That's so good. Kevin is uh, gold. He's a, he's a nugget of gold, not a, not, like not a big old chunk of gold. He's like a, you know when they're panning for gold and then they get a little, hey, I found some gold, but he's gold. He is gold. Kevin. By the way, I call him Kevy. In case, if you've been looking for a name that actually describes him, if you're still saying Pastor Kevin, try Kevy. It's, it fits. It just fits. When I was a boy growing up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the words that my older brother Bruce hated to hear were those coming from my mother's lips as he was trying to get out the door and she would say, take your little brother Colin with you and play with him. Now, his, his troops all had Mustangs, you know, with the banana seats and the sissy bars and the, you know, and I couldn't even ride a bike. And they'd see me toddling along behind Bruce, and the eyes would roll, and this is not going to be any fun, and does he have to come? And, and uh, yeah, Mom said he's, he's got to play with us today. So then they would turn to me and say, well, you have to earn it. You don't get to just follow us around. You have to earn it. And they would come up with little crucibles for me to endure and then somehow finish so that I could earn the right to be in their friend circle every day. Like one day I remember being thrown in a dog run with an old dog named Duke. And they put me in the other end of the dog run. Duke's at that end and I'm at this end. And then they got hockey sticks and they started jabbing Duke and got him excited and mad. And finally he came back down there and he bit me. And, I hope you're not offended by this, but as six-year-old boys do, I wet myself. So I'm wet and bit, and I earned the right to stay with them for the rest of the day. It was a little uncomfortable walking, but I hung in there. Right, another time, they were uh, uh, putting pillows in the the basement windows of a guy's house to make it pitch black, and they tied me to a telepost in the basement, And as they were rolling up newspaper bats, they explained the rules to me that if I yelled when I got hit, I'd have to leave. But if I held my screams, then I had proven that I could stay with them. What they were teaching me was that I needed to learn to go along to get along or get along to go along. But either way, they were in charge and I was not. My job was to conform to their wishes 
for which I would be rewarded. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, you know not to put your tongue on things in winter. One day I was coming home from school and some guys were out by the hockey rink and and they said, you're not going another step further until you lick that fence. And I did. Ripped my tongue off, bleeding, run home. And this was one of the days where my dad reinforced a message that he had been trying to get through to me, which was, son, you have got to learn to stand up for yourself and say no. You have the personal power to say no. I'd rather not bleed. I'd rather not be in a kennel with a dog. I'd rather not get beat up. Nothing's worth it, guys. The answer is no. But I would say to my dad, but listen, how can I stand up? They're bigger, they're meaner, and they also offer friendship. And I don't want to be alone sitting in a house with mom. So, dad, how do I stand up and why should I? How can I stand up and why should I? And whether you realize it or not, this same question is being asked by Christians and the church today. Because we have some bona fide bullies in our lives who are saying to us, listen, Listen, you're going to have to go along to get along or we're going to have a problem. And we might say, but how can I stand up under the pressure that is being placed upon me to conform and why would I? Some of you, if you haven't already, will suffer those moments of putting your lawn chair out on the grass, uh, on, on the line of the soccer field and you'll be with other parents and soccer moms and whatnot, and they'll start talking and you'll realize, oh my goodness, I do not believe what these people believe. But to get along as a soccer mom, I can't say what I'm thinking. Or you make the mistake of speaking out thinking everybody's going to chuckle a little bit when you make a comment about Washington. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I just cut my own throat. These people don't vote like I do, and they don't believe what I believe. I'm going to stay quiet from now on. Guys at work who used to joke and jostle, mix it up a little bit, talking loose about that and criticizing this, there's a lot of quietness around the water cooler now because nobody knows who believes what about vaccinations or about Washington or about the current societal slips and slides that we are watching people daily agree to, even though in your mind, you know it is nonsense. Black is not white, white is not black, up is not down, down is not up, right is not wrong, wrong is not right. We understand because of God's word and his actions in our lives that there is a way to think and to view the life you are living with wisdom and not be fooled by everything that's coming down the pipe. Folks, we are living in an age where we as a church and Christians need to stand up for ourselves and learn to say, no, I don't believe that. And it could cost you. We will say, how do you do that? You don't know the guys I work with. I could lose my job. 
And why would I? I need the money. There the stage is set for what I want to show you from Daniel chapter 3 this morning, how and why we should stand up under the pressure to conform. Let me start with this. Jesus knew we would face these very days. He knew we would face these very days. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of the things you believe, because of the word of God, because of the beliefs of the church. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus knew that there would be days when we were not just uncomfortable, but where we could be persecuted. Pay a price, maybe pay the ultimate price. We don't feel it much here, but you know we have brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history who have gone to their death for Christ, will not yield. I don't know if I've got that in me. I hope that I do. I hope I don't have to find out. And then Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. They had just come out of hundreds of years of offering dead sacrifices. According to the law, The life is in the blood of the animal to atone for sin. We take the life from the animal, exchange that through the blood offering, and we give life back to the sinner who has been dead in his transgressions, Ephesians 2. And so he's saying, let's do it different because of Christ, because of his mercy. Uh, uh, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform. Do not submit. Do not bow to the pressure being placed upon you to accept something that you don't believe and you know is wrong. Don't conform. Do not suffer from outer conformity so that you are going along to get along. Instead, long for the transformational work of the Spirit of God within you, which is sanctification, to change from you to to be less like you and more like Christ over time. Focus on that. Be transformed. And this word transformed is the same word that is used at the transfiguration. When Jesus Christ went from being this And before their eyes became this, and they fell down and worshipped him, they could not look at light that bright. And we are supposed to not conform, but be transformed. Now, conformity is something I can do with externals that please whoever's demanding I conform. But I can't be transformed except by the power of God in me by his spirit, according to his word. I cannot transform myself. That is a work of God. And he's saying, let God transform you. Don't do this. Do this. Be transfigured in your spiritual quality of life and your ability to stand up under pressure by the work of God in your life. 
Love it. Love it. So he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. Here's what the scripture seems to be saying to us as believers. When you stand up under the pressure the world is placing upon you to conform, you are doing God's will. A lot of us walk around in the dark. I don't know God's will for my life, man. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, it's it's not that difficult, actually. He has sort of said, you've been called because of grace, and you have been filled by his Spirit, and you are supposed to take that calling and that filling and be somebody who makes an impact on your circle of influence. You can be a difference maker. Don't conform. Be transformed and then make a difference, and you will be in God's will. Not only in God's will now, but blessed and rewarded in heaven. What do you think your life is for, brother, sister, church? What do you, what do you think we're doing? Just supporting a church and enjoying the fellowship. And by the way, the worship here is tremendous. I hear a lot of great music. But I'm seldom convinced that the people who are playing the music and leading the worship are authentically participating. And I really enjoyed watching and listening to your worship team this morning. They, they appear to believe what they're singing. It's beautiful. I loved hearing your voices too. Some of you could pipe down a little bit, but most of you sang beautifully. It's beautiful. So I want to take you into Daniel chapter 3. I'm not saying Kevin's old, but it would have been nice if he could have got a face shot of these boys instead of just like the backs of their heads. Daniel 3.1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon, six miles out of the great city. This 100 foot high statue, 10 feet wide, layered in gold and engraved all around the base would be the number of horses he has and chariots he has and wives he has and children he has and armies he has and the names of the places he's conquered and, and rules over and everything else they could put on the bottom of that thing would be engraved in there, including the names and rights of his pagan gods. But it was impressive, make no mistake. Then he summoned all the important people in the kingdom to come to a dedication of the image that he had set up. So all the important people came for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then he heard, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the royal band, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Apparently this furnace was built in proximity somewhere where you could see the statue and you could see the furnace. And not unlike what I suffered through as a kid where I was trying to figure out Okay, make the instructions clear, and is that, is that worth two hours of play or four hours of play? These guys got it clearer than that. It's very simple. It's very simple. You either bow down or you burn up. That's your decision. That's your choice, and we really mean it. 
And we are living in a culture and a society and a world that has been sliding for three years, and I don't think we're done sliding yet. And the church, unfortunately, has its own version of that slide where we are exchanging truth for lies. We are exchanging God's design and his order for mankind for some sort of an appeasement to our sin nature and the confusion we naturally have as we submit to the author of confusion and the author of, and the author of lies, the father of confusion and the author of lies. We in the church are learning that it is somehow our job to be so in love with our community that we have no reason to stand up and say no to them. Instead, churches are changing what they believe and what they think the Word of God says so that we can swing our doors open and say, we love you, we have no reason for you not to be here. That's always been our policy. But now, the message is, we're going to drop our distinctives so you feel more comfortable. We're going to not be as convicted. We're going to let our consciences be seared and dullened so that you feel comfortable and we will make adjustments. Folks, it's called progressive Christianity and it is taking Canada by storm and I know it's happening down here too. We are giving away the very things that God said mattered and Jesus died for. My sister worked in a church until she couldn't. For two years, the church was deciding to go progressive. And they had hundreds of meetings with special speakers and whatever, and people from the community would come in and say what they want the church to be. And my sister Beverly was on a staff that was split right in half. Half traditional, holding the line, and half progressive. And my sister Beverly, if you knew her, is the person who's looking for the middle ground and how can we all get along and she said at this meeting with the staff and the elders in the church well at least we all still believe in the cross of christ and and um, when it comes to easter we will celebrate the resurrection and we will and this elder spoke up and said actually beverly i no longer believe jesus needed to come because i no longer believe i'm a sinner an elder and she said, well, how are we going to do this? How do we get along? And then here comes the shame piece. Well, Beverly, you're not enlightened. You don't get it yet. We understand, but you're growing, but you have to let yourself open. These dear people have become confused, and they're rewriting the word and if you ever are in a church or with other believers where somebody says, well, I'm not sure that that's what Paul meant. That was a long time ago. Well, I'm not really sure that the Jesus of that day would be the Jesus of this day. I think that we need to evolve. And I'm not as interested in the Word of God as I used to be. Now I'm sort of like, how does that, how do you interpret that for your heart, for where you are, and what does that mean in your life? And guys, listen. The minute you give this up, we are just another fumbling religion pretending that we know how to get to God instead of accepting the fact that he gave his life to get to us. 
So you have to be wary of this stuff. It's coming. And in our experience, it only takes one staff member or one family to say, I think it's time that we love our community like Jesus loves. And you let the slippery slide start. And it is just ruining churches. Good people like you go out shopping for a new home. Ironically, the people who want these changes take the building. And once people like you leave who pay for this building and serve in this ministry are gone, they sell the building and end up in a community hall somewhere or in a library. Because while they think the minute they, excuse me for this, I hope I'm not, the minute they hang a rainbow in a window or paint the sidewalk like a rainbow, they think the church is just going to be flooded with people who are dying to get in here. They're not. They're not. I remember when I was a young pastor on a Sunday that I had off, I was on vacation, I went to Home Depot. I went, oh, this is where everybody is. I've always wondered where they were. They're just walking around with coffee looking at tools they can't afford. That's what they're doing. Help us, Lord. I think you guys get me. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the royal band, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the royal band must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. The interesting thing about these astrologers is that if you read Daniel chapter 2, you'll know that it's about the king's dream. And the king wants this dream interpreted. And he challenges his own astrologers and wise men and magicians and everybody to tell him what the dream was. Don't just give me some uh, uh, guess that you have at what it meant. I want you to tell me the dream. Well, the only person that stepped forward and was able to interpret the dream or know the dream and then interpret it was Daniel. So this rocket shot him into uh, uh, sort of a celebrity status as somebody who was there in bondage. And the king said, now that you've done that, now that you've proven me that you have something everyone else doesn't, you can be my number one guy. And so the first thing that he does, Daniel says, well, I, I want Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be the administrators. I don't want to be. And he said, done. If those are your choices, they're your choices. The next thing he did was say, and by the way, those astrologers, those magicians, uh, those wise men, they have nothing. They don't have God. Don't kill them. Don't spare their lives. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, okay. What, should we say a year later, those same guys that were, had their lives spared because of Daniel's grace, he was offering them grace as God had offered him grace, they're turning them in. So here's lesson number one. If you think, excuse me for the terminology, sucking up is going to be rewarded forever, no, it's always temporal. Somebody that you are getting close to to get something from now might be your enemy shortly. It was so for Daniel, Shadrach, and, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king, and they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, he's giving them an out because he'd like to get back to his pizza party. He's got a thousand people out there in the desert, and it was supposed to be fun. And they're having a problem. Everybody bowed down but three guys, three dissenters. Well, you know what authority does with dissenters. They can't tolerate that. But he's giving them an out. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the royal band, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately in to the furnace of blazing fire. And then he says these words, and they're going to come back, and he's got to eat these. He says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Have you seen how big my statue is? Have you seen all the stuff that's engraved around the bottom of that? Do you know who I am and all these people are that all bowed down? You guys standing up. What God is there who can protect you from me? He's going to eat those words, but his message is clear. Bow down or burn up. And the boys stay standing. I want to talk to you about how to stand up under the pressure to conform. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to serve us, to save us. I love how they did not say, he will save us. We're, we're telling him through our prayers right now what he has to do today. No, no, they're open to God's will. I love that. Our God is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Love it. And then he says, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Because to bow down to that golden statue meant I have to bow down to your gods as well, and I won't do it. These boys knew the patriarchal society that they were part of and came from and that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were the fathers who worshipped that God. And they said, I will not bow down to any other God but the, ones, the one God that we have been worshipping since we were a new, a new nation and children. So how to stand up under the pressure to conform? You have to make up your mind so you don't have to decide. I used to say this to my children as they became teenagers and my teenagers as they became young adults. I used to say as they were heading out on a Friday night, too much cologne for my liking. And I'd say, you make up your mind so you don't have to decide. You make up your mind right now about what you're not going to do, who you're not going to be with, and when to call it quits. You don't find yourself in the middle of some pressure cooker situation where all your peers are going, come on, dude. Everyone's doing it. It's not going to hurt you. You make up your mind. Look them right in the eye and say, no. And we're no different. You can't get into situations at a family reunion or an office picnic party or something like that where you're just walking around as, as a guy or a girl who believes in Jesus, but hopefully no one will ask any questions today. 
you have to make up your mind so you don't have to decide when somebody finally says to you, what do you believe about this whole thing that's going down on City Hall? Are you going to tell somebody the truth about what you believe about that? Or are you going to go, I don't know, man. I didn't get to watch the news last week. Or are you going to say, well, actually, I know exactly what I believe about that. I don't, I don't think it's right. <gasps> what? You don't think it's right? No, I don't. Why don't you? <sighs> How much time do you have? Not picking a fight. Not telling you folks, you need to make some banners and hang them out here. You need to, on Saturday mornings, you need to be marching in front of your church. We do not believe what's going on in our culture. I'm not saying that. I'm saying personally, when you are with people in situations, whether it's at school, at work, at play, in the neighborhood, family, or whatever, make up your mind so you don't have to decide that when the moment comes, you will stand up for yourself and say no. That's all. And then watch the Lord move through it after that. Okay? So make up your mind after you, uh, so you don't have to decide. And pressurize from the inside to equal the pressure that's coming from the outside. There's a lot of pressure on you right now to conform. Lots of pressure. When they first designed the submarine, the submarine program killed a lot of sailors. Because they were looking for the right steel or the right metal or the right width or the alloy that could go deeper and deeper and it would not compromise that submarine. But they hadn't discovered the law of pressurization that solved the whole problem. So if you pressurize from the inside to meet the pressure that's coming from the outside, that vessel can go deeper and deeper and deeper than ever thought and everyone was safe. When Kevin and the other people in your life say, I sure hope you're going to church, I sure hope you're reading the Word. I sure hope you're learning to be a self-feeder. I sure hope you're listening to some healthy podcasts. I hope you said yes to our small group ministry. It's not because Kevin gets brownie points if he gets more people involved. It's that he knows, as you do, the pressure is great. And unless you pressurize with the Word and fellowship and service and giving and love and community, if you're not pressurized on the inside, you will not meet the pressure coming from the outside. You will not. You will collapse and twist like a beer can under the pressure. And most of us would have to say, oh, guilty. Didn't speak up. Not at all. Went along, I got in the car, I went with the guys, right? We've all done it. We've all done it. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Huh? Hey, guys, I'm willing to be reasonable here. I just want you to go along. I just, I, we don't have to have a thing. When he sees and hears their answer and the look on their face, his face changes. You ever seen somebody's face change? Now they're done with you? He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes 
were bound and thrown into the blazing fire. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And then he says, then why do I see four and one of them looks special? (laughs) This fourth person that was in the fire with them, protecting them, is the angel of the Lord, which is oftentimes thought to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, there with them, doing God's will on earth, before he was uh, a baby within Mary by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the thought that if you stood up under the pressure and you were about to get in trouble and maybe do get in a lot of trouble, can you get your head around the thought that if you feel out here and if God pulled the physical veil back long enough for you to entertain the reality of the spiritual and you touch Jesus the Son of God, right beside you. He's with me. I'm not alone after all. This is okay. I'm doing the right thing. It is God's will for me to stand up, and he has said he will bless me and reward me if I do. I'm going with Jesus, not these clowns. you got to make up your mind so you don't have to decide. Be pressurized in advance because these moments are coming. But look at this. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So this is why we stand up under the pressure to conform. Here's the why. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire And the important people all gathered around, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Folks, when we stand up, we may suffer. We may have to endure being thrown into the fire of rejection, of criticism, of loneliness, of joblessness of, well, we used to be friends, but we're not now. When we stand up, God may not deliver us from every one of those scenarios, but he will always see us through that fire. Can you imagine when those boys were falling into the fire? They're falling into the fire. Guys, I guess this is it. He's not coming. And Jesus is already standing down there going, come on down, it's cool. It's about mm, 71 Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand. Verse 15, he's about to eat these words. Oh my goodness, I love it. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Listen. I hope that my four grown children and now their children 
and my siblings and my friends and people like Kevin, if I were under immense pressure to conform to the world, I hope they would see me stand up. And I hope they would say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I know he believes what he believes. He defied the command of the king. People, by the way, let me say this, because this is a whole different sermon. We are told that it is our responsibility to pray for government. It is our privilege to be exemplary citizens. And as I have been asked many times, and I've told people many times, you obey the government until the government says you can't obey God. That's the line. That's the line. Here, they are being praised for the fact that they chose God. They chose God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. This was Nebuchadnezzar's salvation moment. Some don't believe that it was his salvation moment, but I do. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Why should you stand up under the pressure to conform? When you stand up, God can and will use you. A lot of believers spend their lives going, I don't, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know if I'm, I don't feel special. I'm so average. You know, Kevin can speak and teach, and other guys in the church can do this and that, and the women, and I'm just average. No, you're not. You're not. You have been indwelled and then infilled repeatedly by the Holy Spirit so that you can be powered to live the life you've been called to live. And for some of us, it'll mean nothing more than just standing up and saying, I'm a believer. See that. And God can and, you, and will use you standing. And the second thing is, when you stand, God will be glorified through your standing. Well, everybody else right now is buying this and going along with that, and they're not saying no, and we're just supposed to watch it all on the news, right? What about being somebody who stands up so God will use you, and somebody says, by the way, I'm going through a period of confusion in my life, and I'd like to know, who is your God? Why do you believe what you believe, and why would you say no, and why would you go to your death if you had to? Who is that God? So in closing, how do you stand? Make up your mind so you don't have to decide. Pressurize from the inside out. Equalize the pressure. Why? Because God will use you and God will be glorified through you. And this is something that every one of us can do and should do. So I'm praying the next time you feel the pressure to conform upon you, that you will not feel your knees buckle and that you will not settle for a bleeding tongue. But you'll stand up and you'll say, I know in whom I have placed my trust and I'm going with that all day long. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today and thank you for these dear ones and thank you, Father, for how you 
Teach us through your word and through these amazing characters of the Bible. Help us not to view this as something that happened thousands of years ago, but something that is happening in our lives right now. That you are calling us to be stronger than we've been, be more certain than we are, and be willing to actually test the theory of salt and light and see if we can show you to a lost and dying world and bring a spiritual flavor that they have to acknowledge is the most different thing they've ever seen or, or tasted. In Jesus' name, amen.